Good morning. I tell you what, she is my daughter-in-law, by the way, those of you who didn't know, and she kind of got that singing from me after she got in the family. And uh, if that's what they're doing on Sunday night, I'm going to be here, and I hope you will be too. I know you'll be blessed. Great time of worship, a little different than maybe what you're used to, but amazing. So that ought to get the laziest of Baptists back to church on Sunday night. And if you know somebody that needs to know Jesus, you bring them with you tonight. They'll learn how how. We're in a new series. Starts today. It's entitled Follow Me. It's about following Jesus, and it's about the things that will happen in your life when you begin to follow him. And it's about the places you'll go when you follow him. And one of those places that is for sure and certain for those of us who walk with Jesus is heaven. Book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, you look it up when you get home. The Bible kind of gives us a foundational verse for everything that's happening during this series. It says, I will remove or replace your heart of stone. Anybody here kind of have a stony heart? Maybe you'd point to somebody for me so I could look at them while I preach. Kind of have a hard heart, a stony heart. Bible says, I will remove that stony heart rebellious, defiant, stubborn heart. And I will replace it, listen to this, with a heart of flesh, a tender heart, a soft heart, a heart that has been touched by God himself. I'll replace that heart with a brand new heart if you desire to follow me. And the Bible says when that happens there in the book of Ezekiel, that you will have a desire then to follow God's plan for your life, his statutes, and you'll be obedient to him. That's the kind of heart that I hope you'll have when this summer's over. I hope it is already beginning to head in that direction for you. And today's message is entitled, Follow Me to Salvation. Salvation, uh, being born again, uh, having the Spirit of God come live within you, becoming a Christ follower, thousands of different ways to uh, identify what happens in your life. But it is the entryway, the portal, it is the event in your life which leads you into faith and relationship and connects you to God. It's the event that makes you know for sure that you're a part of God's family and that you're going to live forever one day in his heaven. Now, what most of us forget, and even those of us who've known the Lord for a long time, who've been a Christ follower for years, is that there are a lot of benefits that come with this event, this salvation experience in our life, that God fills us with his spirit. Remember the spirit falling a couple of times? When Jesus was baptized, it came in the form of what? A dove. And landed and infiltrated the life and heart of Jesus. When he ascended into heaven, Bible says, or actually Jesus said, I'm going to send you something better than I. Something that will always be with you. Something that will live within you. He was talking about the Spirit of God. And when the Spirit fell upon those who were following Christ in those days, it literally revolutionized their lives. In fact, right after the Spirit appeared and moved in, 
thousands of people became Christ followers. Thousands. The day of Pentecost. And so what I want you to know this morning, if you're here and you're already a believer, if you're already connected to Christ, I'm going to give you a list of things that ought to be a part of your life. A list of things that should have changed. A list of things that you ought to know are yours. And if you're here today and you're praying about it, thinking about it, if you're struggling, if maybe you've bottomed out, if you're wounded and weary, if you, you're, you're empty and lost, here's some things that can change your life today. In John chapter 3, there's a, a passage, a classic passage, that, that says here's how salvation happens. And it's interesting because Jesus came to seek and save those which are lost, right? Have you heard that before? Read that before? That was his ministry. And certainly he came to those who were far from him. And maybe that's who you are today. Maybe you're here and, 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 and you're really, really not sure why. You're not a believer. You just, somebody brought you or made you or maybe you've been pretending or whatever. But you know that you've bottomed out life it's tough. Got a lot on you. Don't have much hope. Don't have much peace. You don't know Jesus. He came to seek and save those who are just like you. He's still doing that. But it's also interesting that when Jesus is talking in this particular passage, his conversation is with a man by the name of Nicodemus most religious man that you could possibly know. Look at the passage with me. Pharisee, a, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Bible says he came to Jesus by night. Now, let me ask you a question right here. I want to stop and say a couple things about what we've already read. Most religious guy that you could possibly know. He was a member of the higher council of the church. I want you to think for a minute about the most religious person you know. Nicodemus was more religious than that person. He made sure everybody else was religious. He came to Jesus by night. Now, why do people do stuff at night that they don't do in the day? Somebody tell me. They don't want to be seen, caught. You're good at it, aren't you? You hang out a lot at night, honey? My mother always told me nothing good ever happens after 11 o'clock. She might be right. I don't know. I've moved that to midnight for my kids, by the way. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. He did not want to be seen with who appeared to be the enemy of religion, Jesus. And here's what he said to him, Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God. You say some incredible things. He acknowledged that, some amazing things. And no one could do what you've done. I mean, Jesus, you have multiplied food. You've walked on the water. You've healed lame people, blind people. I mean, nobody could do what you've done if it wasn't God 
involved. Jesus replied, very truly. In the, in the King James, it says, verily, verily. Remember that? I always wondered what verily, verily meant. And then I went to seminary. It means truly, truly. And every time Jesus speaks, and the reason those words are used is because everything he says is absolute truth. Absolute truth. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Now, we've heard that term. We kind of have a concept of it. But imagine if you were a teacher, a religious leader of the church, and you'd never heard that concept, and someone said, you, in order to please God, in order to make it into heaven, you have to be born again. You'd be just like Nicodemus. Whoa, wait a minute. That's ridiculous. I'm an old man. I'm a 200-pound man, give or take a few pounds. How can someone be born again when they're old? How can that happen? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Ladies, would you agree with me? No one wants to see that happen, right? Amen? Testify. Nobody wants to even think about that. Jesus said again, truly, truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God. No one can follow me unless they're born of water and of the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised, Nicodemus, church, at my saying, you must be born again. Then he says, you don't understand the when and where it goes, the mystery of that. You can hear it, but you can't see it. So is everyone. This new birth, this infilling of the Spirit, difficult to understand, but real. Interesting that he talks about two births, isn't it? First, the birth of water. Born of water. I uh, had the privilege of uh, about almost six months ago welcoming a new grandson into my family. His mother and father wisely named him after me. Good choice. And Amanda's birthday is January the 3rd. And on January the 3rd, she was, as the scripture says, great with child. Very great. And we were taking her out for her birthday to her favorite restaurant. And she came waddling off of the couch and over into the kitchen. And I heard her sort of gasp. And she said, I think my water's broken. And I took a look, and she was right. (laughs) When you are born of the flesh, you're born of water. It's a part of the mix. That's what Jesus was talking about. I want you to know we took her to the hospital on her birthday and then went to her favorite restaurant and celebrated in her honor. (laughs) Worked out great. Born of the water. Every one of us in this room were born in that fashion. 
But then Jesus says, that's not enough, Nicodemus. That's not what salvation is about. In order for you to see God one day, you have to be born of the Spirit. And in the same way, new life is breathed into a child and is nurtured and nourished. New life is breathed into your spirit when you become a believer, a Christ follower. And you get all sorts of of benefits out of that process of, of walking with God, of following God, of getting that new heart, not the stony, rebellious heart, but a fresh, malleable, tender heart. All sorts of things. Heard a story about a lady named Bertha Adams. Bertha Adams died in Miami, Florida at the age of 72. And those who frequented the city knew her or had at least seen her because she was a street person. She pushed a grocery cart around the city from shelter to shelter, sometimes because Miami's a hot place, sleeping on the streets. Everything that she owned, or so it seemed, was in that grocery cart. Meager existence. Meager existence. When Bertha Adams passed away due to malnutrition, they found within her possessions inside that cart a key which turned out to be a key to a lockbox in a bank. When they went through the process and opened that lockbox, they found deeds to shares of stock that were worth over a million dollars. And she lived as a street person. Died because she wouldn't buy food or didn't buy food. Now, what do you think about that? Anybody have just your first impression? Shout it out. Or don't. <laughs> Crazy, right? What else? Wish I'd been her heir was what I was thinking myself. Insane, sure. And here's the point of the story. There are some of you sitting in this room right now, spiritually, your situation's just the same as hers was financially. You've got all of God's riches at your disposal. You've got everything that you need to become a Christ follower, a significant part of God's kingdom, a a contagious believer. And so many of you never use any of them. So many of you walked into faith but never allowed God to change you. So many of you said, I believe and I want to make it to heaven, but you've never allowed God to bless you and let you live abundantly because you are living beneath your status as believer. So what do you get? Let's just talk about it a little while. What do you have? And maybe you're in sync with this, or maybe it's not a part of your life at all, or maybe it's just something you've always wanted and hoped for and never had. First of all, you become a new person, a brand new person. Now, there are some of us who believe that when we come into grace, when we come into salvation, when we connect with God, that we become a forgiven version of our old self, right? 
Have you heard that? Have you seen the bumper sticker? I'm a Christian. I'm not perfect, but I'm forgiven, right? You seen that? Everybody agree? Well, that's not true. You don't become a forgiven version of your old self. You become a brand new person, changed from the inside out. If you experience salvation and nothing about you changed, you better check again. If, if you came to Christ and started to follow him, because following him always means that you are conforming yourself to his image. If you came to Christ and nothing changed, then you need to check again. You become a totally new person. If Ray Young were preaching, he would have said, teetotally new person. Everything about you is different. The Scripture says it this way, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is, and the new is. You don't like your husband? Bring him to Christ. He'll be new. You're tired of your wife? She needs a makeover? Bring her to Christ. She'll be brand new. You don't like your neighbor? Tell him about Jesus. He'll be brand new. You can't encounter Christ and not be changed. You also get a new identity. Your driver's license will look differently, right? In the Scripture, when people would come to Christ, God would rename them. Abraham, he was a guy once called Abram who didn't have much faith. And finally, he decided to follow God. God said, great, your name's now Abraham, which means man of faith. There was a guy named Cephas who became Peter, which meant the rock, the solid rock of faith. There was a guy named Saul. Who'd he become? Paul. Because everything was so different, the name didn't work anymore. And when we come to Christ, we get a new identity. We identify ourselves with Jesus. We get a new name, Christian, Christ follower. And we begin to reflect who he is. As we become this new person, it changes us so that we look like him. A new person with a new identity. Number three, you get a new mind. You get a new mind. You start to think differently about life, about people, about your perspective. You get a new mind. And, and when you start to think differently, then your actions change. Your behavior changes. When, 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 when you start to see people through God's eyes, when you start to listen to people through God's ears, because His Spirit, it infiltrates your entire body, your soul, your heart, your senses. And you think differently. And when you begin to think differently with that new mind, everything in your life starts to change.
I like this, you get a new power. In Romans chapter 8, which probably is the most encouraging book in all the Bible, it talks about this life change that you get, and it, it, it sort of focuses on power. And I want you to look at this verse in Romans chapter 8, or verses verse 12 and 13. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, what's going to happen? You're going to die. But if you live by the Spirit, you put the death or the misdeeds, the, the struggles of this world, out of your body, and you will live forever. You ever think about that? You're going to live forever if you know Christ. You're going to live forever. You need to start taking better care of yourself. You're going to live forever. And the power... Looks natural, doesn't it? I'm not on steroids. I want you to know that right away. Drug testing. The power that becomes a part of your life when, when, when the Spirit is there, when God dwells in you, the power that becomes a part of your life literally revolutionizes who you are. Where once... You were afraid, you're now courageous. Where once you were timid, you're now bold. Where once you were lost, you're now certain and sure of your direction. You begin to live passionately and powerfully and purposely. You begin to be able to make a difference in people's lives around you. Bible says in Romans 8, past that, it says that you become a conqueror. Let's just be honest. Sometime this week, have you felt like a loser? Anybody? Sure. You felt like a failure. You wanted to do something and somehow you couldn't do it. You, 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 you wanted to make a difference and it didn't happen. You wanted to live righteously, but it didn't happen. The Bible says that all of that can change by the power that God has poured into you, your spirit. You get new love. You learn to love differently, don't you? I want you to look at this passage. Fire that up there for me because I don't remember it, Pete. Dear friends, I should, shouldn't I? I went to seminary, right? Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Real love comes from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Now, did you see that other phrase that we had up there? But I love you. Or, I love you, but. Now, I'm one of the second phrase guys. I love you, but you could sure use some new desires. I love you, but you sure do irritate me. I love you, but you're wearing me out. I love you, but I think you're crazy. You know, do you, do you have conditions Attached to your love? 
That's kind of where the church comes in, isn't it? Because as the body of Christ, as, as, as folks who have been changed from the inside out, as folks who've been spirit-filled, the Bible tells us right here that we need to look to God to learn how to love. And we need to exercise that love within the body of the Christ and outside. Now, I want to tell you that God loves in remarkable fashion. I want you to think about this. Do you deserve, what have you done to deserve his unconditional love? Think about that. Most of us would have to testify that sometimes maybe we are in God's favor, but that in other times, no matter how righteous we may think we are, deep inside we know that we have disappointed Him. We've made bad choices. We've yielded to temptation. We have sinned against Him. And if God loved like we loved if God loved conditionally, if God had the words, the word but after I love you, most of us would be out of luck. Amen? I want to be sure I'm not talking to the holiest group of people in America. There's sin in Arkansas, I know for sure, isn't there? They commit the sin every day of being Razorback fans. You go to a uh, you go to a Arkansas basketball game and they're yelling "suey suey." You've done that, guys, haven't you? I wore the colors. I heard you were coming, but y'all are wearing blue. <laughs> Now, where was I? Got, got into a geographical discussion there. And when you start to love like God loves, it becomes the essence of the church, what the church is all about, where you see people who are hungry, and you don't care what you have to do, you feed them where you see people who are broken and you don't care what you have to do, you help piece them back together. You see people who are sinning and, and, and just drifting further and further from God and you go on a rescue mission, not a condemning mission. You see people who are lost And you don't beat them over the head with the Bible and tell them they're going to hell and tell them how miserable they are. You demonstrate to them the love of Jesus. And they follow Christ. You see, when the church loves like God loves, when the church has the heart of Christ, a, a heart that will climb a cross cause of love. People cannot resist that kind of heart, that kind of love. But I see so many miserable, terrible, hateful things that happen 
within church. Not here, of course, but other places, right? Where people are mean-spirited and spiteful and critical and negative and, and it doesn't look anything at all like what the body of Christ should like look like. When you follow Christ, you learn to love like he loved. Finally, when you follow Christ, you get new desires. You, you begin to crave different things. You, you begin to want different things. In Galatians chapter 5, it talks about those desires. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For your flesh, that sinful part of you, your nature, human nature, is contrary to the Spirit of God. And that spirit, which is contrary to the flesh, it'll be a conflict. You ever feel that way? Like you're being pulled two ways? You want to sin? You want to say what you think? But God and his spirit are pulling you the other way. There's a battle. But here's what happens. When you come to Christ... What you want, what you feel like you have to have, changes. There's a great big fallacy out there, and, and, and in, it's kind of common, I think, among unbelievers, on those who aren't following Christ. They think if I were to make that choice, if I were to start coming to church and come to salvation and follow Christ, my life well, I couldn't have any fun anymore. I wouldn't be able to do this or that, and that would be cut out, and I couldn't hang out with the people I used to hang out. And in some fashion, I think that's true, but it's not that you want to anymore because your desires have changed. Here's the other side of the coin. It's also a fallacy. If I become a Christian, a Christ follower, I'm going to have to do a lot of things I don't want to do. I hear folks that say, well, you know, I, I might walk with Christ, but, you know, I don't pray all the time. I don't read my Bible all the time. I sure don't want to come to church every Sunday. But here's what happens. When God changes you, when, when he fills you with his spirit, and his spirit wins that battle against the flesh, it's not a have-to thing anymore. You never think, I have to read the Bible. You think, I want to read the Bible. I want to know what God says to me. You don't ever think, I have to pray. You can't wait to pray. You can't wait to lay your burdens at his feet. You can't wait to feel the power of his condensing answers. You don't have to pray. You pray without even thinking about it. You don't have to come to church every Sunday and listen to a 30-minute sermon. You get to come. You get to see all this and hear all this. How many of you couldn't wait to be here today? Woo! More of you ought to raise your hands or I'm going to keep preaching to you feel that way. You couldn't wait to be with God's people in God's house.
You don't have to be generous and give and tithe. And you want to be generous because there's no better way to invest what God's given you. You don't have to serve. You get to serve. You don't have to evangelize, tell people about Jesus. It becomes the cry of your heart because you want to see people make heaven and miss hell. You don't have to. You get the privilege of taking people to heaven with you. You see the difference? When you follow Christ, his spirit comes to live in you. You become the temple, his home. I uh, got in a lot of trouble when I was a kid. My dad was a preacher, and so my, most of my trouble came at church. And I, I didn't always remember all the rules. And one rule in those days was you don't run in the sanctuary. Remember that? Nod your head. And I knew I could run in the Sunday school area and the vestibule, but sometimes I would forget to gear it down when I came into sanctuary. And we, we still have, you know, this is a holy place. It's, it's a place where we worship. It's a place where we encounter God. It's a place where lives have been changed weekly at this altar. I'm not convinced, though, it's God's house. Because I think God lives here. And I think he lives in every one of you who's claimed him. And I think whether you're sitting here or you're down the street, God won't move. He won't move. I've heard people say, man, I can't say that in church. Can't believe you lied in church. Can't believe you cussed in church. As if God can only hear you here. Right? You're the dwelling place of God himself. Would you make him welcome? Matter of fact, would you make him Lord? And would you allow him to do this amazing transformational work in your life? See, everything we've talked about today ought to be evident in your life. Sadly, it's not, is it? And that may mean that we need to come to this altar for a refreshing. It may be that someone here in this room is like Nicodemus, a religious human, but a lost human. It may mean that some of you have none of this. None of it. And you know you desperately need it. Because you're miserable. There's no purpose or point 
to your life. And you desperately need God. Now's that time. Now's the moment to allow him to do what only he can do. Change you. Don't wait till you get better because you'll never get better without God. Would you pray with me? Father, passionately, passionately we seek you. Some of us have forgotten who we should be in you, what we should look like. Some of us have failed to love, have never used our power. Our desires haven't changed nearly as much as they should. We still yield to temptation. Some of us have no joy, no peace. Some of us need to allow you to move into our lives today. Some of us need to come back to you today, Father. Some of us need to say, I don't want to go through life without everything possible that I can have. Some of us need to quit living beneath our status. Father, your altar's open and your spirit right now, it floods this place. It speaks truth. Allow your voice to be loud. Or allow us to listen to a whisper. But don't let anyone here escape Father, I covenant with you right now to walk with you, to follow you, to do my best to love like you loved. To live in your image. And I pray that that prayer is echoed throughout this room. And it's the cry of every believer all of those who would trust you for the first time today. Father, this is your invitation. It's up to you, God. We will be obedient. Hard hearts become soft. The old becomes new right now. <laughs>